welcome to the Dice Your Screaming Podcast. I'm Randy. And I am nominally Mike. Nominally now. All right. (laughs) Well, at least we're moving up from maybe Mike. (laughs) Oh, man. Ah, Yeah, well, you know, ever since uh, the incident, I was forced to admit to being Mike. So I admit I'm nominally Mike. All right. I'm stuck with it. And here, welcome to our little podcast. Yeah, the moth-eaten tapestry of gaming podcasts. Its glory days may be behind it, but once upon a time, it was a work of art. And now it's of dubious quality. (laughs) I don't know how much you're getting back in town for this. Uh, Not much. You might want to go see the blind Fletcher down in Turdhaven. (laughs) You might be able to get us some (laughs) out. Hey, well, hey, you're welcome. So, uh, yeah. Um... (laughs) Yeah, we, we had a pretty good podcast last time. Glad people enjoyed it. Our Iron God summary yeah, kind of capped, was the capstone of our lengthy look at the genre mashups of science fiction and fantasy. Yeah, the, the relevance of like science fiction influences in fantasy gaming and in uh, obviously earlier in film and things yeah. like that. Uh, but so much of it that informed uh, fantasy gaming in spite of the fact that science fiction and fantasy seem like two, you know, they're such visibly different genres. And yet they do seem to share a lot of the same space and a lot of the same fan base. So it seemed inevitable that like you should look at the way in which they intertwine. That was, that was our previous month. Huh. It was a like meta examination, man, going back to the the well of how many ways does sci-fi and fantasy intersect? Mm. So much influence. Yeah, and uh, it was a long, strange trip, but now it's come to its conclusion. And so it's not about the destination. It's about the journey, man. So, yeah, we're going to keep continuing on here. So, uh, hey, uh, we have a new form of divination for you folks, and Mike's going to take it away. <laughs> so for our next upcoming podcast, we're going to give you the clues on what's coming up before we jump right into our topic. Well, meet the Nissomancer. Divination by incense. I'm here for this. Yeah. You light the incense. You let the smoke rise. And you begin the process of divining from your action. You know, what what does the lit incense tell you? Oh, Hmm? I see it. I see the future. And this is so much better than the Druromancer. Oh, man. I'm, oh, man. I'm glad I'm, I'm doing it this way. You know, like, this, this is wonderfully aromatic as opposed to, like, I'm a little woozy. Somebody got a, somebody got a cookie and a glass of juice. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, no more blood drive. Oh, yeah. Huh. Also, the cleanup's a lot easier. Yeah. <sighs> Celebrity and gaming. The rise of gaming itself as a community, as a hobby, as a internet presence holistically now possessing people who are recognizably celebrities. Uh, and the, the concept has changed over the years because it used to be really the rock stars of gaming were just the big names, the people who owned the companies that made the games. Not so today. The world has dramatically changed. And for the good and the bad, as witnessed with Sachin sure. Phoenix and Jameson Stone. So we'll be covering that. And also covering other things. So it's not only going to be just a dog pile on how bad they were, no. but also other things as well. And yeah, the, uh, like uh, naming of names of the great personalities of gaming, uh, you know, and the people who 
have emerged out of gaming culture and become almost synonymous with it. Uh, some of those people will not be necessarily covered in glory, but others will. So yeah, right. yeah tune in and see. Yeah. So, all right. Can't wait for that one. And also we have some of the business to do. Uh, Gilbert Soros, we have not heard from you. So unfortunately, um, as we drew your name from that, or the dice rolled it, we're going to have to move on. And so a copy of, what was it? The Adventures uh, Sword Guide Coast to... Adventurers Guide. Sword Coast 5E Adventures. brand spanking new. Jason, you are contestant number two. Jason Connerly. Yeah, you're the next runner up. Next contestant here on the Dice are Right. Yeah, contact us as quickly as you can. Uh, and we will send that to you forthwith. Right. We'll get it in your hot little hands or hot big hands or hot sweaty hands. Whatever kind of hands you got. Yeah. They're going to have a 5e, you know, sword ghost adventures guide in them shortly. Right. And if it, if it's not your cup of tea, um, hey, you can give it to a friend, pass off for some swag, trade up some stuff. Yeah. It's always good to have some swag like that and uh, make good use of it. So. All right, so I think that concludes our business for today. Now, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's no. the business section of the podcast. Now on to the weather. Yeah, now we. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, the weather is typical Michigan steaminess. Uh, between the rain and the heat, it has been a difficult time period. Ah, uh, yes, uh, my trip to the Venusian swamp planet is now complete. Uh, and you know, I I wasn't going to mention this before, but like I, I do suddenly want to mention it now. Uh, a little bit of tragedy in the the Hannah households, respectively. I we lost a four-legged friend, uh, my my brother's beloved dog Freckles, uh, who has been with them many many years. Like from the the children were were just itty bitty childrens, and they grew up with this dog, and now they're they're great big hulking adults, and to lose like a beloved family member that has been with them the whole time is has been really tough. Because, man, you know, like I'm just taking one second out to give a salute to all of our four-legged friends that, uh, like, one of life's great cruelties is that they do not have such long lifespans. Every single one of us who has ever lost a beloved pet looks back and goes, man, I could have done with, like, 50 more years of that, you know? Uh, it, It stings. I mean, I know it's a necessary thing and a part of life, and it cannot be avoided. It's the ultimate cost for having a an animal who is a companion and a friend but it always always hurts so yeah little little sorrow uh at the the hannah haciendas these days because we're sorry to hear we're commemorating a good pal oh freckles off to puppy valhalla with you or your praises will be sung over the rainbow bridge my friend yeah all right now yeah. Hey, moving on. Topic-wise yeah. today, as promised, uh, the Duramancer's last act was quite correct. Okay, that is not why the Duramancer is gone. It was not failure. Uh, the Duramancer simply got anemia and had to take a extended break. Uh, <laughs> um, severe iron deficiency. <laughs> Those weekly auguries really suck. Yeah, yeah, that it was very draining. So mm. no more of that. Uh, the Nisselmancer has taken over, uh, and the incense tells us what we need to know. But the Duramancer's last prediction was correct. And we're talking uh, the evolution of 
availability of product in gaming, something that has reshaped the entire environment in which we live and play, um, and in some people's cases, work. Uh, it is a total restructuring. Uh, you want to talk about your Stranger Things upside down. Uh, we are so far removed from the origin point 40-odd years ago uh, that like, the environments are completely alien to one another. And that that's worth a little peek. I yeah, feel so that's like... what we're going to cover today. And before some people tune out and say, oh, I don't want to know about this new fancy drive through RPGs, PDF stuff. Um, hey, I was right there with you. I didn't like PDFs very much to start. And well, slowly I've taken uh, a step forward into the new century and progressively started looking at uh, replacing some of my books with uh, PDFs as I'm downsizing some of my collection. And uh, yeah, it's been a big help. But I also want to mention, too, that as gaming has changed, uh, this is also a lot of other industries and other uh, hobbies have also changed along with the advent of technology and mostly due to the Internet. So it's worth a look. And so hopefully you'll stick around and enjoy it. But let's get right into it. Yeah, this is more than an examination of a couple of sites. Uh, you know, this is not just a peek at like, Hey, here, let's highlight a couple of places you can get stuff. This is more of the meta-narrative of the journey we've all been on. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of people who have arrived a little later in that journey. Uh, and, you know, the it seems to someone who has only been in gaming the last decade that this is more or less the shape it's taken their entire time. Oh, no, it has not been like that. It has been a long, strange trip. Uh, for those of us who who remember in a far more ancient and terrible era uh, to be a gamer. Uh, a dark age. Yeah. Uh, Rock with peril and uncertainty. We have fought our way out of that and emerged into an era of like... Un, I, Rock I with think, peril and uncertainty. Yes. It, it, well, it, certainly peril and uncertainty, but uh, availability of accessibility of, ah. of plenty where... It, it's now all about you all the time. And that itself is also a challenge. So we'll, we'll peek at that uh, at the end of the meta narrative. Yeah. So kind of start us out here uh, back in the day. And isn't that how most of our podcasts start with us reminiscing about how it used to be? Oh, boy. Uh, well, it is characteristic, characteristic of this particular podcast because if we form anything, it is a bridge between the place that we used to be and the place that we have arrived at, uh, the you know currently evolving situation, and the era of you know bygone times that this began in, and being that bridge, I think, is a piece of who we are. Okay, uh, to try to, I mean, if I were going to define us as anything, it would be a bridge between a place where things began and a place where we have arrived and are still traveling in. So, you know, it's respectful of our role. Right. But it, it but it does seem a bit tropish. And I yes. was just making a little jab at it. We might be guilty of that. Yes. But at the same time, I think it's worth an examination of when, when you used to be able to go to a brick and mortar store. And uh, fortunately that's coming back again thanks to some of the rollbacks, but at the same time, you are limited in your options of what the purchaser of that RPG shelf 
in your local store decided to stock. And for the most part, it was probably what sold, and that would be Dungeons and Dragons. But there were a lot of other smaller games. Um, you know, some of them would grow large. Uh, Traveler, RuneQuest, Call of Duty, all of them. But there was, pardon, there's a number of smaller press games like Arduin Gamora that were passed around by word of mouth, fanzines, and adverts in other gaming journal uh, periodicals. Not just Dragon, but also Fantasy Gamer, White Dwarf, Imagine, some of the other uh, golden, old, hoary, bearded yeah. magazines that have disappeared into the mists of yore. And even those could be challenging to get your hands on. I mean, if you only had like a single major corporate outlet, uh, you know, like a mall not too far away, you might be able to get your hands on the biggest titles. Uh, you know, right. the, it's the Dragon Magazine and uh, Dungeons and Dragons product. But it was very hard to pry loose anything else unless you had a true dedicated hobby shop uh, that, you know, could afford, that was prosperous enough to branch out into having other games in stock. Otherwise, wow, you know, I, I, the situation for the majority of this country circa the end of the 70s, dawn of the 80s, was that this was very hard stuff to find, you know, other yep. than the biggest names at the biggest stores. So you it. had a lot of mail order catalogs that uh, oh, you yeah. had to complete listing and they would uh, be able to contact the distributors War Games West. Uh, I used to buy their uh, periodical uh, catalog for a dollar. And, you know, you would see games like Joe Rune or, uh... <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Joe Rune. Uh, Cabal or Man, Myth, and Magic from your Quinto games. These small ones, they kind of looked intriguing and, you know, you would be like, oh, I wonder what this is all about. And, yeah, then you'd buy it and then you would have instant buyer's remorse. No, Joe Rune was visually <laughs> stunning. I, I, I'll take it back. But things like I bought Mock, the first colony. Yeah, instant buyer's remorse. And uh, Man, Myth, and Magic also buyer's remorse. Uh, yeah. Okay. It, again, you didn't. You were just. Buy, you were going blind. You didn't have any way of previewing it. You maybe, if if you were lucky, you would have a review in Dragon Magazine. And, and going uber candid, you know, this was adolescence for us. Uh, money did not just grow on trees. Right. Five dollars for mock and uh, ten bucks for Mammoth, or fifteen bucks for Mammoth Magic was a major. Uh, that was like three, four months of work. Yeah. You know. Obviously, it's like part time, a dollar here, a dollar there. Uh, but you know, you would carefully, slowly accumulate this wealth, and so a major splurge of twenty dollars for like a book, it it really had to, uh, it had to do something for you other than line a shelf. Okay, you really wanted mileage out of it uh, because the expense for the time period was you know pretty pretty steep. Uh, also. Let's be candid. I, I also remember that in that era, you could not always be sure of every outlet that did mail order. Uh, not all of them were entirely scrupulous, just as the internet is full of its thieves today. I, we also had an era where just because they put an ad in print and indicated that they would totally like, you know, send you this product was not necessarily a certainty. You know, some of them could go out of business. Uh, or, you know, like run out of stock. And the big priority was not getting your money back to you. 
that was not at the top of their list. Uh, and there was also no internet to complain to. Uh, so if you really like hose to some teenager in the outer sticks of nowhere, um, who were they really going to sick you sick on you? Okay. Like you think the FBI had a task force that you like busting down game doors and tracking down PO boxes. Well, not yeah, so much, but you found, you found some good. I mean, most of the time it, if you use the, uh, it was rare though. Yeah, it was rare. Most of the time you would find, uh, honest distributors just trying to, you know, sling some, uh, product. It, it was the rare find in game stores and in the back shelves of some bookstores where you would find some really oddities like Ardwin Grimoire and occasionally a copy of Joker. Skyrim. Well, and Skyrim. places dedicated enough to carry Traveler and early Warhammer products uh, and, you know, uh, some of the Steve Jackson early releases, uh, like first edition Cyberpunk uh, these things, if they didn't have the magic name, you know, we, we, I think we've done a good job so far in this podcast of having highlighted a lot of different games that coexisted, that shared space around the time that D&D was going through its rise. And D&D was the rising tide that lifted all boats with it. You know, it started the first golden age of gaming, uh, simply by having this incredible success out of nowhere, this unexpected, uh, you know, that that sudden chart topper that like, wow, who knew that that catchy little tune would go from being a like a low interest 45 that plays on a local station to all of a sudden, this is the number one hit across the US. Nobody really saw that coming. And then all of a sudden gaming was everywhere and everybody wanted to give it a shot. Everybody had a different idea mm -hmm. and the market was flooded with ideas, but it was not flooded with accessibility, with opportunities to put exactly. your paws on it. And that was the challenge all of us began with. Every single gamer that was there at the inception of gaming at during its, its rise. Yeah. If you're a lived. college student in the seventies and you had a car and you had a, uh, decent amount of income, disposable income. Yeah, traveling to across state to uh, a large bookstore in Detroit or Grand Rapids wasn't out of the question or yeah. East Lansing. But going to conventions that had been advertised in a Dragon magazine and then being able to access all the stuff that people brought to the convention and sold in the exhibition in the exhibit hall. Uh, that was like a sacred pilgrimage. It was a rite of passage. God, I got him in gaming heaven. Yeah, and you know there was a lot of things that just you missed out on, and that was just part of it. Uh, when that big explosion was happening right there at the mid, uh, or uh, at the first part of the eighties, I think is when it really got big. Uh, you had judges guilds early in the eighties doing stuff for uh, RuneQuest as well as uh, Traveler, and of course for D anD D and other uh, fantasy oh, games. Gerps eventually. Well, yeah, but that, that'd come a little, Came bit. a little bit later down the but, road. But, you know, metagaming, uh, the fantasy trip, that that was around. But there were various ways to play fantasy role-playing games, and it was pretty much in, at the time considered that there were two uh, games you played. You played D&D &D or something else, and those were the two games you did. <laughs> and uh, that accessibility is really not changed today because it's still pretty much it's D&D &D all the time or something else. And that's something else is a large percentage of what makes up the gaming atmosphere. Now, I think that with 
when we talk about the accessibility part, there's a lot of age factor and some of the uh, truly elder Grogbeards are going to uh, nod their heads sagely at this. Well, I was there and, you know, I, I had a broke down VW bus <laughs> with Gary and oh, I had to push the car all the way in to get to the Gen Con, you know, I arrived two days late. Yeah, there's a lot of stories like that. And I took the brown acid and, you know. <laughs> it's Gamer Woodstock. Uh, that, that, that's a completely different rabbit trail. Let's not get lost on that one. Let's <laughs> steer it back on. Okay. <laughs> Stay on course. <laughs> but, you know, we went to a transitional era where we saw this incredible rise in gaming at the almost simultaneous rise of the computer. Uh, that like yeah that, wow. that would be pretty much your your uh experience whether it was in the middle 80s or into the late 80s early 90s but at the early 90s you started to see hear about things like bbs's and ooh, internet access and yeah that had been around since the 80s but very rarefied people i mean our computer lab had a phone where you could literally go to different websites but it was a process i mean a freaking process yeah, uh, honestly, uh, you know, our junior high had a single computer in the library uh, circa the end of the 1970s, yeah. so like 1980, 81. You know, we had one lonely little computer uh, that the school had invested in. And there was such a small number of students that really had an interest in it. Uh, I, I did get to use it a couple of times because you, you had to sign up uh, yep. to yeah, use yeah. your library time uh, to make use of it. And... Of course, I immediately abused that privilege to die of dysentery on the Oregon Trail. But yeah. more to the point, the internet was there, but it wasn't just as accessible as it was. And you were still depending on the same things that uh, 10 years prior had uh, carried the industry. And it seemed just that, like that was the thing to do. Occasionally round up the fellows and go for a uh, road trip to a new gaming store across state. And that was a thing. Yeah, the internet became a means of communications, but it did not begin by rapidly increasing our accessibility for games. It, it just, it did not fulfill that function at first. It was not a sudden transition. It was a very long curve. Now, to, to give some uh, context here, there are some war stories you'll hear on the internet about the early days of TSR on the internet. You know, when it was uh, Sierra, what was it, Sierra Online? Oh my goodness, yes. Sierra. AOL, um, they had a presence on AOL, and then they said people were trading copies of games or even their own original games and TSR clamped down and you couldn't do that. And that started a whole TSR or T cash string R hmm. uh, versus the internet. Yeah. And that didn't end well. And uh, it, yeah, needless to say that that was during the precise era in which TSR was like rapidly beginning to find itself having problems. Yep. So. And where they could have monetized that. Yeah, they, they really had so many opportunities in that window period to have made themselves more accessible and more modern and more hip and more with it. Uh, but that was not the kind of people who were in charge at that moment. They were, it was a very Yeah, just as, as the internet was starting to open up, they decided to uh, cut off the supply valve and go after anybody who had done anything without their permission. And yeah, that ended uh, as badly as it, you can imagine it did. Yeah, if your ideology has led you to attack the fan base, you know, like to just be you know, like, this will all go so much better if the people who like this product are mauled by bears. Uh, Owl bears, in this case. 
drop rabid weasels into their trousers and see how they fare. Uh, they will soon learn not to tamper with us. <laughs> love me, love me, you pigs. You know, and that kind of perverse, wow. like, <laughs> we want yeah. to be adored and loved, but we're also going to be terrible to you. That give and take thing. So many corporations go through this, you know. Uh, oh, shades of Satie Phoenix and Jameson Stone. Oh, well, too early. You know, all right, too, yeah, too. too soon, too soon. All right, we pulled uh, up, Thanks pulled. a lot, Freddie foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, but that's the gist of it is you're like, love me, love me. I hate you, I hate you. It's sometimes companies are like dealing with a cat. Like, mm. oh, I would love to pet your belly. Ah, God, my arm. Uh, so again, TSR went through that. And that was part of the awkward stage. The yeah, when he could have blossomed out, and you know, um, then there's pure piracy, and of course the the glory days of Pirate uh, Bay and downloading, you know, massive amounts of computer viruses onto your computer, which would then <laughs> defecate blood in a large surface area and die. Yeah, if you actually want to hear a computer wheeze and sigh, you know, from from uh, like being given nine kinds of pox. That oh, was I the era for a copy of Tomb of Horrors. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's the sound the computer made when it died. One of our friends went through that. Yeah, so there was a lot of stuff that you could find online, but most of it was it took ages to download. It wasn't really fast, and so you can see where people would, despite the plausibility of doing it, the hurdles involved. Uh, and the rarefied nature of computer ownership and usage just didn't make it a popular venue. And honestly, when it did, they turned off the uh, supply line and uh, lawyered up. They went after everybody. And that wasn't a good way. And then they wondered why, well, why is everything on Pirate Bay and we're not making any money off it? Well, because you don't sell it this way at yeah. all. You, you did not. Yeah. yeah. The only thing you did was prohibit people from dealing with it in any way by the Internet. So. so that would go, that would be pretty much the experience. Uh, you know, uh, people would be uh, passing things back and forth and MIRC and other, um, well, the early bulletin board systems and then, you know, waiting until TSR come in and shut them down. And then later Wizards of the Coast would enter the picture and they had a little bit more open, but still kind of was this weird fixation. Like, we don't want to let PDFs of our classic games that everybody seems to want out and you're only uh we want to make sure that those are preserved as legacy items and i'm talking in a weird voice that probably doesn't really reflect reality but it does seem that was my impression dealing with a lot of these people they were some kind of weird pinhead that existed only in a uh, microcosm of corporate obloviations that just like i just listen to the, the motivate i look at the motivational poster posters on the wall and i come up with a new theme every day uh, there was an evolving landscape. So I'm, I'm going to give people as much as I poke fun at like the corporate bullet heads that just, uh, there are so many that just don't get it. You know, like they, they, they work in an environment that is not conducive to understanding the people who are the end users of the product they are moving. Uh, and when you have people looking for responsible positions in gaming companies, who are from outside gaming culture, they really don't get it. And I don't yeah. want to be hard on them as individuals and say you're terrible people for not understanding how things work. You're like, why would oh, I be well, terrible to an electrician who isn't a plumber? Okay, like, right. don't ask them to plumb in the first place. I, I'll tell you that, but I will not like 
I would not be the one expecting them to be a plumber when they're actually an electrician. Right. That's and, where and, corporate America gets it wrong. It's like, I'm bringing in a plumber. But if we're going to make it, if we're going to uh, call people fair on this, it's, they were the ones making decisions. They were the one placed in, in these positions in the first place by people who were just trying to toe the line. It wasn't that they were terrible people and they needed yeah. to be slapped with fish. It's <laughs> that they were people who made a decision that was in line with the corporate hierarchy that placed them there. And they were holding what they felt was the status quo to protect the entity that employed them. Yeah. That said, you know, protect our IP. Oh, the reason why we are so frustrated with it, it was just, we're shaking our heads and like, you, you, you don't get this. You, you're not losing value. The guys who are on eBay charging $200 for, a, a, you know, in the shrink of the, uh, Palace of the Silver Princess is the only ones benefiting from this. And you see no money from that. Yeah. And they're doing it legally because it's their property. They can sell it, what do with it what they want. But, you know, if you wanted to see a little bit of that uh, profit come your way, because there's interest in that, how about put the original up and, uh, you know, charge, uh, you know, I don't know, like a couple bucks. Yeah. If you will not reprint it, then at the very least, put up the PDF and like keep that cheap because it's not a yeah, put up copy. A copy online. Uh, and a virtual copy is so much less costly in terms of production and availability. So it inevitably moved into this new era and will pick up in the next half hour with a, you know, the rise of the new way in which games were distributed and how they became so wildly available. All right, so we'll pick it back up after the break, so stick around. All right, and we're back. So, yeah, hope you're sticking around and enjoying it. We're just rambling on. And uh, we spent a lot of time talking about our frustrations. But uh, the reason why I think it's relevant to speak about those frustrations, and, yes, we've kept it bottled up and always ready to spill forth, vent some uh, steam on you. The reason why we do that is because it was very frustrating during those times. Wizards of the Coast, it was uh, becoming ever more militant and uh, kind of secretive about what their motives were, what they were going to do with some of the properties they had. And lo and behold, a little company comes by, uh, starts slinging uh, PDFs of independent games. And this is about the time of the rise of the OSI. Fourth uh, edition, um, Paizo had, had a little bit of clout, and they were able to start offering some digital content. And of course, Wizards had, they had the D&D uh, online or D&D initiative. Oh yeah, it's not that there was no presence. Oh, the initial like internet presence for some of the major players uh, was, I mean, it was visible. Yeah. It was accessible, uh, but it was not widely enjoyed because comparatively little was offered, okay? That they were very limited venues through which a small number of perks and bonuses, uh, kind of like, you know, like your bonus download. Yeah. Uh, like, hey, you bought the physical product, so you get access yeah, you to this DLC downloadable item. content available right there for you. Yeah, and as a concept, I did not like downloadable content, bonus perks, you know, tiered sale platform, you know, things where the more you throw into the kitty, the more like yeah, you had your monthly get. subscription to D and D online, and you had a, a guaranteed tier, a paid tier content that was unlocked for you if you bought the actual item. Yeah, and it's a concept that has always disgruntled me. I don't appreciate it in gaming. Uh, like, look, do a good thing and I'll buy it. And I understand the initial price tag may be high. But if you're going to nickel and dime me after like giving me half a product, I'm not even going to initially 
jump in. I, I will literally just give it a pass, even if it's something I might enjoy. Looking right at you, civilization. Okay, oh. Look, looking right at you. Okay, I see you there in the back row, like nodding your head, like, oh, no, I'm sure they're not talking about me. No, I'm talking exactly about you, Civ. Uh, well, that, that's a whole nother tangent. Of but, you know, the, the we're point talking being, about the role playing. You're looking at an evolution of the way people looked at streaming sure. income. And it impacted gamers just like it hit everybody else. Yeah. And so we're going to kind of move through this time as the rise of OSR, people began putting stuff online and there was a need for it. And so Drive Through RPG, which had been around for a while, started really picking up some business. And people were just basically putting their product on there, where you end with Lulu and a couple others. You could have a hard copy printed out and sent to you right away. And you could get the PDF that day. So yeah. you could get instant access and get the hard copy coming to you all at the same time. Uh, Fight On Magazine, uh, their compilations and early issues, I was really happy to get those because, you know, I'd get the PDF, enjoy, uh, get a good pur purview. Yeah. Um, slip. And uh, your slip's showing. And, you know, get the guarantee in like uh, three or four uh, days, there would be a knock at the door and a nice package waiting for me of the hard copy. So, yeah, you'd be able to see what's coming and also anticipate being able to have it at your game table. Now, yeah, uh, the golden era of like best of both worlds, you know, there, there was touch and go moments where you began to see companies beginning to grasp what it is that people wanted. Like, yeah. how do we deliver to you what you would and, like? And this allowed a lot of small publishers to get their foot in the door, or at least get some notice, get their products published and put out there. And this was, again, it's one that you cost. mentioned that the old school revolution had a lot to do with this. The original, the birth of OSR in the like aftermath of the fourth edition calamity uh, and the rise of Paizo and Pathfinder also coincided with people literally taking to the internet by storm and going well obviously the game i used to love is now crap i gotta go do something else uh, and by god they did they exploded yeah okay. like i talked about python magazine you wanted to get some old school D, &D. i mean white box the content that was your place now um i think at this time finally somebody woke up at Wizards of the Coast, and finally told the guys up at Hasbro, like, hey, if we start putting our stuff online, yes, some of it will get pirated. That's absolutely true. Sure. But Drive-Thru RPG was very uh, classy about it, and they started watermarking everything. And that cut down on it, because then you, you would have a, a trace liability where this was let out. But that really would never materialize, but the implication that if you bought a copy of PDF and then, you know, just put it out there to, you know, trade for whatever on uh, these Pirate Bay places, then you could be liable. Yeah, there, there was a means by which to backtrack to you and go, ah, you can't actually do that. And it was also a warning to the end customer. Like if you're doing the resale thing and producing other copies of it and spawning PDFs of this without, you know, uh, actual ownership of it, the end user, the purchaser, can look at it and go, oh, oh, this is totally shady. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like a, that Louis Vuitton handbag that's like being sold on a towel on the corner. Uh, you know, 
Sure, it fell off the back of a truck. Sure. Yeah, it, it's like 20 bucks instead of 200. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, but the truth is, at least in my view, gamers and people in general, if they can find a way to lawfully acquire a product that they desire, that is the path they will take. If you give them the means, if you empower them to have access to it, they will do the right thing almost all the Gee, time. It's like we had to teach companies how to capital. Well, uh, yeah, because if you come out of a culture where literally your state of mind is, how much can we steal? It's very hard to perceive the world of customers as a trustworthy place where their desire for something well, will make them part with money. It's kind them. of our big thing against the fourth edition is they treated the customers that were a hostile entity. Yeah, yeah. And that, anyway, I mean, one thing Drive Through RPG did, I think it also emboldened Wizards started announcing that, hey, just not on our D&D monthly subscription, are we going to let you have access to some of the classic stuff? We're going to put it out there. And I think when the Wizards finally announced that, that's when the dam broke. I mean, and now literally everything... I mean, there's still a few things that they're catching up on. I mean, it took a long time to scan these things, and some of the scans aren't perfect. Admittedly, I got this a is couple. Months. Still true. It used to be more true a decade ago plus, but it's getting better. So it's I, getting I wanna, better. I, I see paint a nice picture for it, but it's not out of the question. You can still wind up with some not exactly ideal quality scans. scans. But you can also get a hard copy of it. Uh, when Wizards done that, I think they they've been more than fair in uh, meeting the needs of what gamers had asked for. Now, did this diminish the sales of the other cry was? Did this diminish the sales of the Flea Bay auctioneers? No, it didn't. As a matter of fact, the print copies, especially the pristine ones, are still fetching very sweet prices, and I have no problem with that. Yeah, the popularity of gaming itself, which has uh, waxed as opposed to waned. Uh, the waxing popularity of gaming has meant that there has been increased interest in original product, like in, in the honest-to-goodness uh, ah, kind of symbolic value of first print-run original copies of classic modules and game systems. You know, they're still fetching some pretty solid prices. Now, now you, the, one the, of the egregious... Oh. Uh, it, it's harder for people to pull off... Be, you're like this is it's like a thousand dollars a copy no vintage but you know this you're still looking for some of the harder to find items uh, you're looking at these really robust prices in my view that are far above what was spent upon them all those years ago now let's talk about some of the uh my frustrations with pdf it's like when yeah the, there when, are there are deficits here we should look at those Good so right. one of the, one of the things about pdfs that i just like right off the bat is i couldn't take a pdf out of my uh I can't carry it with me to my uh, gaming table when I travel. And yeah, very true. But now a lot of things started changing. I uh, I noticed that the tablets started coming down. And I started finding tablets that were a little bit more powerful in processor. And the original tablets and were not, not so very encouraging. And expensive. Right. Well, you know, we're not talking about your Nooks or your Kindles. I mean, when I first got those, I'm like, yeah, it's nice for reading a novel. But, you know, it's not very good for, well, you can uh, peruse a, uh, Adobe Acrobat stuff with Adobe Acrobat. Oh yeah, okay. Let me let me talk about Adobe Fall Down Acrobat. Um, 
Oh, the yeah. tablets I had uh, access to, and you know, I wasn't spending like eight, nine hundred dollars for one of those. Heck, I'd buy a new computer for that. Yeah. But I couldn't bring my rig to just look at a, a PDF. Yeah, oh, Acrobat runs fine on a super, uh, a souped-up computer, uh, PC gaming rig. It doesn't do so well when you have to pick up that rig and carry it to the game store. And so tablets, were, well, you can watch it. You look at it in the tablet, sure. And even smartphones were getting better, but they still weren't there. Yeah, you go back 15 years, and oh, even though you things go back were at the 10 cusp, years. Yeah, uh, eight years. I, I'm saying that like the trend of improvement, if we, we start back about 15 years ago, uh, you really don't see that transitional moment until we get about seven or eight years ago, particularly. Yeah, where smartphones were more than really capable. came uh, into their own. Yeah, they started having uh, great processing power and great storage capacity. Tablets were much better. You had uh, Windows and then the Chromebooks um, and more than just laptops. I mean, yeah, I was, the other part I was getting to was the laptop uh, situation. But laptops were even almost more expensive than a, a, an elite gaming rig. I mean, $1,300 for a top-line uh, a quad-core laptop was egregious. I mean, that's a luxury. I mean, heck, I could have bought a good used car for the price of one of those. Yeah. $3,000, you know. At the time, it was a very large, uh, you know, amount of money. And that became prohibitive, especially the younger the gamer. Yeah, okay. and, you know, then you're also looking so at a lifetime on jobs, you know, right. we had the luxury to get these things. But a lot of people younger than we were did not have that kind and of And the lifetime of, of, of a laptop like that top-end Alienware or... Uh, uh geez what was the one i had anyway yeah one of those was about two years yeah and there was no cloud at the beginning okay right. the cloud came along a little later and well, wi-fi access also restricted some of your download properties but hey if you had it downloaded on your hard drive you didn't have to worry about any of that nonsense but in the middle of a game one of the things i started realizing when i was finally living in the 21st century is i had went i had my tablet out and i had forgotten one of my books and i needed it for that night so i you know whipped out my credit card went on the site and for uh three 2.99 i got that little supplement that i left behind and a pdf copy of it yeah and downloaded it through the store's wi-fi that was when i was like you know what i'm living in a new age i that kind of ex accessibility and that was about circa 2014 2015 and i had a good uh tablet and now of course uh it's gotten even better. Uh, I would definitely say that now I feel comfortable fully utilizing an entire library of PDFs on a, a portable hard drive that I have, a massive terabyte. Uh, well, of, and uh, another thing, boy, drive. you know, we're not blowing out our backs carting books into a store, right. which I, I still do, but you know, that's, that's me, that was my choice. I have the option, the minute I choose to do otherwise, that option is on the table. Yeah, and the accessibility match with the technology and the actual companies being able to be convinced to come off of their intellectual properties that it will not devaluate them, it will not cheapen them. As a matter of fact, it will open up. If you the become a, if you take the risk of becoming such a rarity that the fan base left to you withers uh, on the vine, and like now, like if you can imagine uh, a. Comparative example would be 
uh, incredibly rare early acetate records of uh, jazz blues uh, that are so difficult to acquire. And the, you know, IP has never been respected uh, enough Mm -hmm. to release it, you know, again, no reprints, no reissues. Or remasters, yeah, Yeah, salvaging that expense. They took the money they could get at the time and then just ran. And they, they did nothing to maintain the IP. Uh, except extract some cash from it and then run for the hills uh, and then never, ever released it again. However, they will also clamp down on anybody attempting to play or like reveal a copy of it uh, in modern times. You like, you, you cannot play a recording of that because it is not yours. Okay. I hear you, but you've made sure that there's no fan base for this by strangling it to, out of existence for a hundred years. Uh, you're responsible for the failure and loss of this as an IP. This is this is no longer relevant to the world because you have prohibited people from accessing it. That was the risk that gaming was in danger of taking, and it turned around. And that is a wonderful thing. That is, I'm so profoundly grateful that we moved away from that mentality in at least corporate gaming culture. They yeah, got and, it. and once Wizards did it, oh, uh, I mean, pay, Paizo, yeah. I think, is uh, we give a tip of the hat, uh, tip of the uh, fedora to you, midlady, uh, to Paizo because they were really uh, keen on getting their PDFs out there uh, through their store, which was terrible. And of course, they hooked <laughs> right up with uh, Drives for RPG. They were able to get their stuff there much easier into people's hands. Yeah, and, that, and I think Wizards took a look at the long look at that, and they changed a lot of their. Uh, mentality now we've made big uh ado about that let's move on to a little bit more positive about it uh right now literally any game i played i was the other night and we were just talking about this uh a couple weeks ago um like dragon quest uh, old rpgs you never get to see anymore go on drive through rpg and you can get a copy of it madness and magic i i'm not sure i haven't looked up with that one that one just kind of popped in my head but you can uh, you can find collections of older material, even some of the Judges Guild stuff, uh, bundled together on various other platforms like uh, Bundle of Holding. I noticed that did some Frog God games, and there's some stuff thrown in there. Oh, Bundle of Holding, yeah. And uh, there's you know you always find good things like that. And of course, they're they're yes, you're buying digital property. You know, it's just electrons and numbers flying across. But you can store them, and you can access them. Now, given 50 years from now, who will say how well this holds up? But I think the medium is there, and I think the capability to uh, to keep it and transform it into whatever new uh, medium we decide to delve into in our future will still be very compatible with what we have now. So I think it will stand up as a collection. Or at least the process of transition will right. involve a period where the conversion of data uh, is plausible. You know, and people can, the internet has shown us multiple periods where uh, the technology is moving forward and then the previous medium had to be upgraded right. and patched and converted over and then a better it joins the new medium. And we've shown that we can do this, that these rocky waters can be navigated. You can make it down the rapids uh, and get to the still waters at the end of the trail, you know, and, you, you can come out of this uh, more or less intact instead of battered onto rocks. 
So one of the things that Mike was talking about uh, earlier before we got started was um, how much one of the uh, downsides is how much stuff is out there. Yeah. You know what? This is a new challenge that we it's a little alien to us in particular. Uh, it may not seem that strange to people who are maybe 20 years younger, but it is a little bewildering if you came from a place where it was mm. so hard to find anything. And now it's everywhere. And there's so much. Yeah, people are able to self-publish and get their. I'm game torn. Over. I'm like halfway between excitement and horror. Like, ah, too much, overstimulated. Ah. <laughs> we we suffer that a lot. Yeah, and it's it. And back in we're almost full circle to like back in the old days. There was a lot of games when you go to a convention. Like I never even saw this game or heard of this. Wow, this is so weird. And. Buyer's remorse. And now it's like, okay, I never saw this before. It's so weird. And I can preview it and see if it's for me before I even buy it. That's yeah. better. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that bad thing is gone. You know, you have to read. I can read like a list of reviews from people who brought right. it before. Uh, I, I can like look for internet discussion on the topic uh, by people off the corporate website, you know, because you can't really trust. Uh, advertising on the internet like a, a review on the a internet. healthy dose of skepticism goes along yeah way, yes uh, but like if you look for off-site reference and other people's genuine discussions then you start getting into you know the, the turf that is more dependable and more reliable so you can overcome this like sense of being overwhelmed it does take a little legwork uh, the information is out there but there's so much information to go through. yes and uh, no matter what game you're playing I mean, now uh, Chasm's running the Johnstown uh, Collective and the uh, Mythos Repository, a Miskatonic Repository, excuse me. Ah, And yes. they have a lot of fan-generated material on there, and other game companies are picking up on that. I mean, just uh, when Tenkar did his uh, 50 OSR games that they uh, were out there for free almost, and I was just, you know, nominal fee, pay what you want or, or whatever. I was just floored at the dearth of how many games are available out there. So if there's something you're not getting or you don't like something, there's always an option for you. And I mean, in the fact that other people can monetize this and yeah, you're not going to make a, a full living on it. Forget living a, a rock star fantasy gamer's and, life. But yeah, that was not. That was never really a thing in the first place. Yeah, at the very best. Foreshadowing. At the very best, even in the golden days of emerging gaming, uh, the norm for people like was not to be like Gary Gygax. That was not normative for people employed in gaming and creating games. Uh, it was much more normal to have like a kind of suburban. Uh, middle-class lifestyle where you had more than one hustle. Like maybe, you know, you had a job doing this and then you enhanced your income by doing you know, the creation and sale of gaming products. So it, it was a fine thing to undertake, but it generally did not like dominate your income. Uh, and it's quite rare to see people uh, move past that point. Even now. Right. And, you know, combined with the accessibility of technology and where it's actually fully accessible, doesn't take, you know, uh, minutes to load, download a page uh, on your antiquated uh, laptop or uh, tablet. 
now things have become a lot more smoother and easier to access. I think we're finally entering an age where we can fully embrace the electronic download culture for gaming. And I think that is an important transition point that, well, it's uncharted territory. We are literally in the pioneer stage of this, and we're still finding out more and more stuff. And as you discover it, there's a certain joy in knowing that there's always something out there that you haven't discovered yet, but it's just waiting for you. There's so much. It's so hard to cover. I mean, a few of the obvious sites, uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo, are yep. rife with exploding new games. Uh, Drive through RPG, on the other hand, like providing fantastic bundles, uh, you know, collections, uh, assortments, and you know, things of that nature. Uh, you. There is no shortage of locations to go to on the internet uh, to find great gaming material. I I gotta say, it. We have said before that this is that golden age again. You know that we are back in another golden age of gaming, and this is another indicator: is the accessibility that. Well, I'm a little bit jealous. There's a little part of me. There's, there's a little grognard tucked away in there. Just that, waiting to get out. Yeah. You know, and like my, my inner grump comes out and goes, oh, kids, you don't know how good you've got it. I'm envious because this is such a friendly era to the gamer. Uh, and I came out of an era that was not that. And instead of being consumed by jealousy, it's much more like a, a sense of effervescent happiness. You're like this, Wow. Oh man, awesome. I am so happy that it's like this now. That is that is the dominant feeling uh, about the new level of gaming accessibility. Well, I uh, just went and did a search. Yeah, right there. Man Miss Magic Classic Reprint, $7.95. And there's a bundle too. Oh yeah, $19.99. Hard copy or PDF see. only. Yeah, this is just PDF only, but let's see. Let's go back here. Well, let's also mention print-on-demand, okay? The yeah, rise yeah. of print-on-demand product uh, has made it possible for both worlds to exist simultaneously, and I highly approve. Why? I, it's not that I'm anti-PDF, because clearly I'm excited about this level of access, but the innovation, the eventual arrival of print-on-demand... Uh, made it possible for those of us who love the sense of having a physical product in our hands. We can still have what we want. Okay. And I'm a book guy who I, I do like my books. It's not that I won't make use of a PDF, but given the first opportunity, I will purchase a physical copy. Yeah. And you could also send it, as long as you have a legal copy, you can send it to Lulu and they'll print it up for you. Yeah. You want. Um, yeah. It, Okay, Man Myth Magic. I can't find Powers and Perils on there. That's another obscure role-playing game. But uh, yeah. Oh, my. From the superhero genre, huh? No, no, that was fantasy. Oh, fantasy. Really? Yeah, yeah it was really. I don't, a while. I don't know that one. A while. I was completely out of the loop on that product. I yeah, well, there you go. The, those are That's a good example. Back in the day. It's a deep cut there. even. I don't know, man. Yeah, old Ed Long Hill stuff. But yeah, so... I think that brings us full circle. Yeah, we can uh, look up right now and find Madness and Magic on there. And yeah, you can get a bundle for that. All the stuff put together for about nine bucks, all PDF. And of course, print out what you want. Like I said, it's a unique age and it's kind of scary in a way, but you know, it's a good kind of scary. 
It's the kind of scary, like, you might not know what's going to happen, but you might just have a lot of fun while it happens. Yeah, you know, there's there's a couple of rough turns on the uh, corkscrew of the uh, roller coaster ride, you know? Uh, there's going to be a couple of turns where we're like, ah, oh, but we feel pretty good about where this is going. You know, yeah. we, uh, it, it's not abject terror. It's to more be able like, to have the entire some howls of excitement. Library of T- old classic TSR stuff oh. and all the OSR stuff that's out there at your fingertips. Literally, all you need is Wi-Fi access and you know, of course, the power to keep your uh, devices going. But Hey, even that's becoming cheaper as it is. You know, heck, this Chromebook uh, I've got using right here stays powered up for days. Uh, Not to mention, like you had mentioned earlier, the lifespan of some of the devices people were using. You know, their their viable lifespan for the device itself was not that long. Yeah, I had a tablet while I was playing that gave out, and I had a full charge starting the game. And it gave out halfway through, you know, just a a six-hour game. Oh, man. Uh not to mention, I mean, even like the whole lifespan of the product, like you were mentioning and, your laptops that only lasted a couple of years to, you know, like the X. Yeah, you'd buy the top some end. Some got better. Some did better. Some did worse. But, you know, you were taking a chance. And if you really heavily vested, like, oh, man, I've only had this for a year. I'm putting a whole ton of brand new PDFs on it. I've got my whole library on here. And that's the only place I have it. Gone. Yeah, also, I guess this this should go without a lot of people just probably take this as a matter of fact. Multiple backup sources always needed. But the other thing is with drives for RPG, your account is yours. And once you buy it, it's kind of yours forever. So you can just download it again. Don't have to yeah. worry about repicking it up. I'm, you know, I got to say that that brings us to our closing point, which is, you know, hassles aside, it's overall a net positive. I mean, how can we look at this situation that we are in, uh, you know, with gaming accessibility where it is now? having made it clear where we came from, mm-hmm. how could we possibly be unhappy? I, because <laughs> you know, if you can imagine, you're like our journey did not begin in the Shire. It started in Mordor. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In Mount Doom. as deep in lava. We were Shazerat and Bagram. You know, and things only got better. Uh, there were some rocky moments along the way, but we have emerged into a, like a, the Elysian fields. Uh, and it is a very, you know, it is a very wonderful feeling to be where we are now uh, in terms of accessibility in gaming. I, I feel like it's a big victory. All right. So I think that's going to do it for us. We wore this topic out to death. Yeah, we and we'll leave out. it on dead on the side of the road in a hastily prepared grave. And so if you like our podcast, what we do here, of course you can download that dang old digger app and give oh, us a oh. follow. And you can also uh, get hold of us on Facebook. Let us know what you think about the episode. It'll be up there on our Facebook group. The Dice are screaming. Get a hold of us there and deal with us. Or you can deal with us directly on that Anchor app by leaving us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. So until we next time, may may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.